0: that extra work that I put in of doing the dry fire practice, doing the pistol pistol drills. Like I even, I set my phone up outside and I put it on video mode and I, and I videoed myself in slow-mo drawing just to see how my reaction was and how I was doing and how I was bringing up the gun. If I was being in good form, because I, like you said, like the form is probably what really helped me. Right. Yeah. not, It's not just having the gun, but it's being able to use the tool that you have. And it's those things I feel that was, was just enough to help save me. And it's, I'm, I'm sitting here now going, holy crap, the, what I have been telling people in all the safety training and education and stuff that I've been doing for the last 15, 20 years, it actually paid off for myself this time.
1: These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit sigsauer.com. You, sir, have a story to tell, and it's something that Um, that has not been shared. and, And there's a good reason for that. But the reason that we're sharing this just so that everybody knows right off the bat is not because you're seeking attention for yourself or glory or anything like that. Like what we're talking about is lessons that you learned the hard way that could have been a much harder way that can actually save somebody else's life and that's why we're doing this today so where do you feel like this story starts for you um
0: man well in in the in the context of story let's go way back to when I found out I drew the tag in June of last year um you know I found out that I drew the tag and I knew that if I drew the tag I was like okay it's going to be grizzly country so I gotta start doing my homework and so once that happened I'm like I I started buckling down and I went into you know, trying to prepare and research as much information or gather as much information as I could. So I started doing that. I um, had read some articles in the meantime about, you know, which gun is best as far as bear protection and stuff like that. I own a nine millimeter pistol for everyday carry, but I was kind of curious to hear. And I eventually settled on uh, a Glock uh, bottle 20, 10 millimeter, just for uh, the, all the aspects of you know, 15 in the mag and one in the chamber and and the, the little bit extra oomph behind it and everything. So that's what I went with. But when I bought the gun, I only was able to get one box of ammo with it because as you know, yeah, hard times, hard
1: times for ammunition.
0: And even throughout the middle of the summer, I go into the sports store and I'd look and, and they'd have one or two boxes of the personal defense rounds for, you know, dollar twenty-five a pop. And I'm like, well, I'm not practicing I'm not practicing with that. So throughout the whole summer, I really practiced and prepared as far as well as I could. And we can get into it later. But anyway, like I, I couldn't shoot at the range. I just had to dry fire practice. It's basically all I could do. So we end up going, uh getting there on a Friday night. Um it was later in September. Hunted Saturday, Sunday and Monday, um, seeing a bunch of bear scat and everything along the area, got into elk. What time of year is this? This is late September. Uh, okay. The attack happened on September 21st. So okay. it, the, you know, it was a month-long season, and we just opted for li- you know limited entry unit, archery, might as well hit the you know, peak of the rut or around the 18th as close as we could. Plus, my friend who came with me uh, took off a week of work just to come with me as as extra protection for me, basically. Um, so if you don't have a friend that's willing to do that, you need to find another friend because that's just fantastic. I didn't even ask. I was contemplating going solo, which really was a bad idea, but I could, I'm like, I can, my job is flexible enough. I could have taken off two weeks and went and hunted yeah. the whole two weeks or two and a half weeks or whatever, but he could only afford like, he's like, I can give you a week. We'll leave on a Friday night, you know, and we'll come home the next Sunday. And I'm like, hey, that works for me. You know, seven days, we should be able to get it done. So we, uh, to skip past the elk hunting stuff that happened, like, you know, we hunted Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Tuesday, we went into an area to look for some elk, couldn't find them. So we bailed on that area and drove up to a different area that was more like high country type stuff. Um, But it was easy it was easily accessible by vehicles, but it's still high country type
1: area. A Lot of uh, white bark pine. White bark pine. Yeah. And, and why is white bark pine important given the context of this? Because uh, the grizzly bears really like eating their seeds. You know? Yeah. And so that's a really important food for grizzlies going into the fall is the nuts from white bark pine.
0: Yeah, and I had known that, and 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 everything, but we get into that area and immediately. You know, we were going to make this big like mile, couple mile loop through this area, bugling into a bunch of basins to see if we could locate, you know, some elk. And uh, we're walking along this one basin and we're in this white bark pine and we bugle. And as we're sitting there, listening quietly, we hear a rustling off the distance and we look, well, what was that? Oh, nothing. Well, then we walked down a little further towards kind of where that noise was. And we found the freshest pile of bear scat that we had seen the whole trip. And it's like, I wonder if that wasn't a bear. Holy crap. All right. Time to get our heads on a swivel, see what's going on. And this was, you know, that higher, higher country, like broken timber. It wasn't thick timber. It was little pockets of white bark pine. You could see for a while, little pockets of spruce that were a little thicker, but it's not like we're going through thick timber. It was, it was fairly open. Well, from there we ended up going and making, I bet we made it another three quarters of a mile or more through a loop in an area. Saw a few more signs of bear. Um, actually a couple of spots where, the bark pine were scratched to hell like big claw marks down the tree and stuff and you go up and the, the boughs of the the pines were busted and yeah. we stopped and we're like well I wonder what was going on there was it like cub going up there and busting branches and we just kind of like you know logged it in our mind and whatever but not far from there I had just bugled into a basin listened didn't hear anything and I look at the map and I say well let's walk around this other little uh, area for, you know, a couple hundred yards and then we can, there's another bu- basin to bugle in over there. And if we don't hear anything, well, then we can pretty much work our way back to the truck. So we started working our way that way had made it, I don't know, let's call it two, 300 yards. It wasn't very far from what I had originally bugled and we were just coming to this small little opening with the smaller spruce trees and then a thick bunch of spruce trees kind of out in front of us. And we're walking along, you know, not really making much noise. And all of a sudden we just hear this huge rustle and snapping of branches in the trees in front of us. And it's just this monstrous roar. Like I can still hear it in my head type of roar that I've never heard in the wild before. And both of us instantly yelled bear and stopped in our tracks. And the next thing I know there is a grizzly coming out of the trees straight in front of me, straight at me, like no hesitation, no coming out of the trees looking around or anything, just, Straight out of the trees, straight at me, and uh, and I, now the whole rest of this all takes place in the matter of you know second and a half.
1: But when it's happening, you like enter a different dimension of time where things oh, feel like they're going
0: really slow. Absolutely, I've had I've had other instances of my life where things have gone in slow motion, but this was super slow motion. Yeah, this was this was different.
1: It is, what a wonderful it, mechanism for survival that we have that ability. Like any time that we're in some kind of a you know, horrific, violent wreck, things slow down so much that we're able to make lots of decisions really quickly. And mm-hmm. I think that's a tremendous survival trait that, that people have. That, well, the amount of cognitive thoughts that you can have in that instance.
0: Well, for example, so when we yelled bear, I instinctively drew my weapon off my chest rig. And so I'm standing there with my bow, you know, at at kind of like athletic pose, bow in my left hand, pistol in my right hand, and the bear comes out of the trees, So I, you know, drop my bow and I pull up. Well, she's one or two strides out of the trees from what I remember. And I'm already thinking, maybe this is a bluff charge, put one at her feet to see if it'll turn her. And so I do that. And then, nope, she's still coming really, really fast. So I pull up, pull center mass and just start you know, shooting as fast as I can as she's coming at me and I was backpedaling, but I wasn't consciously backpedaling. I didn't know, I didn't know I was backpedaling until I had fallen on my ass. So I, there was the first shot that I didn't intentionally try and shoot at her. And then there were seven more shots until I fall on my butt. And that's the seventh shot. When I fall on my butt, my left foot starts coming up in the air. And again, I'm consciously going, Oh, your foot's coming up. Don't shoot your foot. Make sure you hit the bear. Boom. And right at that instance, while I was doing that, she is hitting on her front legs to take one more stride towards me, but decides to pivot and turn and run away. At the same time, as she runs away, I take two more shots as she's running away and then get up. Now, as she's doing this, my buddy who's with me the whole time, the whole time we were hunting, you know, he's just there for moral support and backup. Uh, he's got his bear spray in his hand and it's almost ready to deploy. Like he's got it where he's just like at any second, he can take the safe, you know, take that little safety plug out of there and fire. So as soon as he sees bear, he takes the safety plug off or, or he yells bear. He takes that off. And as soon as he sees the bear coming out of the trees, he pulls up and fires that Well, there was enough of a breeze that day that, that in his words, it went out like a limp dick and came back in his face like it just went out about four feet and kind of blew down and curled back up and into his, into his face and into him. And after oh I get God. Off, after I get up off my feet, I can smell the spray because it's kind of wafting around me and man, I can't imagine how he was feeling. I caught just a hair of it. That stuff's nasty. But so once that didn't work, he drops his spray, pulls his side arm off of his chest rig. He had the same chest rig I did and gets off two shots, one shot right as she's at that point of stopping and turning. And then another one as she's turning, I ended up hitting her three times out of those eight shots and he hit her uh, once out of his twice. Okay. And um, you know, at all in that, like who killed the bear? Uh, The wardens were like, Oh, you know, we'll Jared, we'll give it to you. And, 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 and cuz with mine two hit kind of center mass that we could kind of tell um when we did the knee we didn't go terribly deep in there but we could tell that two were kind of you know chest center mass type of thing and the other one grazed her right shoulder and broke her back femur on her right side okay that's helpful um and and the one that hit her right shoulder that is, is one of them that was, bef- as I was backpedaling, cause I can still see it in my mind's eye of when I was backpedaling and I'm shooting at this bear, I saw one of the bullets hit and seeing that wave of fur that you always like, you know, you see in yeah. a kill shot or whatever. So I saw that as I'm like, okay, I'm hitting her as I'm backpedaling and shooting. But yeah, that was, so to, to go back to once I fall on my butt and the bear turns away, we get up and we're, you know, yelling at the top of our lungs and trying to back up. We're backing up as, as, you know, as quickly as we could without turning our back and running. And we backed up a good hundred yards or so and stopped and kind of looked through the trees. And I could see her sitting down on her haunches, just kind of like sitting there looking around and I'm so tuned up and yelling and everything else like that. I actually pulled up my pistol and tried to take like a hundred yard pot shot just to scare her or something. And she just, you know, gun goes off and she goes, what was that? <laughs> Cause 10 <Yeah. laughs> mil at hundred yards. Yeah. I'm going to hit it. Uh-huh. But, uh, but then right after that, then she drops down on all fours and kind of walks back into the trees that she was at. And we start backpedaling up further. Cause we didn't know is she coming our way is what is she doing? And then I started hearing, um, what turned out to be the death moan. Um, but I wasn't sure I've killed two black bears before. Um, but neither of them did the death moan. So I had never yep. heard that sound before. Uh, so I was like, I think she's doing the death mode but I, we're not gonna stick around and find out and uh, one other interesting conjecture is as we're backing up I go oh my bow is still down there because I dropped my bow to start shooting and as soon as yeah. I back and and my and Jared's like, well, it's gonna have to stay there and I'm like, yep yeah I can buy another one <laughs> <laughs> uh... as my you know as, as my decked out Matthews in like eight $2,000 for bows just laying there in the Wyoming wilderness. But yeah, I buy another one. So uh, we got out of there. We had a mile hike back to the truck. I took some video on my phone of kind of explaining what happened, which I can I can share probably. Uh, and then um, had to help Jared with the bear spray in his face, like take his contacts out and wash his face off, which we found out later. Apparently somebody said that don't put water on pepper spray. It just makes it worse i i don't know jared couldn't tell he's like it didn't seem to make it worse but it didn't seem to make it better either
1: so, yeah well you don't want that stuff to get between a contact and your eye for sure Yeah. at
0: least he's like my face is burning my eyes are burning i'm like do you have your contacts and he's like yeah and i'm like you need to take those out and in hindsight i should have taken them out he took them out and now he oh. he's like oh crap yeah. i think i had it on my hands <laughs> so in hindsight it's like oh sorry uh yeah i probably did make that worse but wow we were still pretty tuned up i mean i don't think i don't think i really settled down into you know normal mode um until we were back at the truck and you know it was a little while later there was one point when i was falling on my butt and i'm going down on my butt trying to one last shot at this bear she's coming at me that i felt this crazy feeling coming up in my body of, of fear like yeah i now know what fear is uh because right. i was this close to screaming like a little girl in in absolute terror uh, being terrified um but as soon as she stopped and turned that instantly went away that feeling instantly went away and then i was back in fight mode basically because yeah. the only thing i can assume of is i i must have went into fight mode because i was conscious enough to stay on target and to execute what I was doing and not just freak out. And I, you know, that's all instinct. So I can't, I don't, I don't feel I can take claim
1: to that. It's not like I made that decision on my, on my own. Um, But. Did did you have a second magazine with you? Cause you basically shot half the ammo you own like during this one and a half second time.
0: Yeah. I pulled my mag and I looked and I'm like, I got nine rounds left. My buddy had his, but I don't think I did. Okay. I can't remember. I don't, I, if I did, I had like half a mag because the whole weight issue started coming in. I'm like, geez, I don't want to carry, I'm already carrying a two pound gun around on my chest. No, I don't carry another pound of, you know, of mag with, and I thought 16 rounds with two of us, you know, and Jared did carry some extra since he wasn't carrying a bow, but I don't remember.
1: Yeah. So when, when you fired that first shot, they hit at her feet. How far away was she? Turned out to be 17 yards away. 17 yards so you got a lot of shots off really quickly those next seven shots happened really fast so where she turned how close was she to you ended up being six yards
0: six yards three feet from where my bow was sitting
1: that is incredibly fast shooting incredibly fast shooting so those shots were all breaking inside of a second for sure yep
0: yeah, but it was. I mean, I was just
1: pulling the pulling
0: the trigger as fast as I could. So maybe I wasn't as in control as I thought I was. Uh, who knows where the other? You know, my my brother in law who does some comp- competition shooting for the guards was like, "You only hit her three out of eight shots," and I'm like, "Yeah, I don't shoot a pistol all the time."
1: But yeah, I was. But I don't you know. Practiced, you practiced. You practice. and that dry fire practice is so important, and it's free. It is free to dry fire as much as you want. All it costs
0: mm-hmm. you is your time. I did a lot of like trying to get my gun out of the holster as quickly as I could, and then yep. a lot of, of just this this practice of bringing it up and aiming and acquiring the target, and not necessarily trigger pulling. I wasn't dry firing until I got you know this part down, right? And 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 then I started incorporating the dry fire. But yeah, you're right. It's it was free, and it certainly paid off.
1: What kind of uh, chest harness did you end up using? I got the
0: marsupial gear, the bino uh, harness, because I was kind of looking for a new bino harness anyway. So it gave me a great excuse to get a new one because I really like the front open feature. But um, we both got their soft, uh, their soft front pistol holder that attaches to the molly webbing on the bottom of the of the uh, chest harness. Uh, okay. My friend was my friend was using the T and K gear bino harness and that in that in that uh, marsupial gear one. Clicked on they're just fine.
1: Okay. So, wow. How does this? How does this experience make you feel about going back into a place that has grizzlies?
0: Well, uh, I'm definitely going. I'm I'm going uh, moose hunting in British Columbia this fall, so I'm going back. Um, yeah. I don't know if the grizzlies there are as aggressive as they are, you know, around Yellowstone. Uh, but and that'll be outfitted, of course. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've been asked, like, would I go back there and I would go back and hunt some of those, those really good limited entry units. Um, but probably with a guide, not solo, just because of the, you know, the stupid wilderness law in Wyoming. Um, yeah. that really, that really hindered us too. We could only hunt in some of these areas and the elk that were outside of the wilderness were, were kind of pocketed up in a couple of small groups. You were either in them or you weren't. It wasn't yeah. like there was just elk everywhere, which, um, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but I don't, I don't know. I, have the, the other interesting fact about this is that when we went back in the next day with the wardens and did the whole necropsy on the animal and they did their whole investigation of collect, you know, policing my brass and sketching the whole thing out and all that is when we were working on that bear, we found she previously had been shot with a small caliber gun about three weeks to a month prior up through her right hind quarter and into her guts. Interesting. And she she was roughly 18 to 20 years old. The biologist said, and had one young of the year cub. So she had a, she had a a hungry toddler. She was old and she was wounded. She was coming at me no matter what. It was a really, really rare scenario.
1: I want to know more about what happened like when you called the wardens. Um, yeah. you know you get back to cell service, uh, you're obviously gonna do the right thing and and let somebody know what's happened and it's not like as hunters, we know what this process looks like, and it's gonna be different in every state, no. but like you did the right thing the The first thing you you got to do is win the fight and and save your own life, no matter what, but now. You've got consequences to face for doing that. So yeah. how did that all go down? So we had to get to where we could get cell service, and by the time that
0: happened, uh, it was getting dark. But we were able to. I called in. I wasn't sure what to call, so I just called the tips hotline and was like, "Hey, can you get a hold of Game Warden?" We had a bear interaction. The Game Warden ends up calling me, and he's like, "All right, well, just to let you know, you know, we have to open an, a criminal investigation with this." You have the right to protect your life, but we have to treat it as a criminal case. And I'm glad he said that to me over the phone at first, because I was about ready to punch him through the phone when he said that to me at the moment. I was so tuned up. I was like, really? You want to charge me with the crime? And I just about died or got, you know, tore up by a bear. I was, you know, I I was pretty angry. But now in hindsight, it's like it in hindsight when you when you think about it it's reasonable because of the laws of this country they, they have to go through that because it's a protected species
1: yes and no i mean with with a lot of stuff we're innocent until proven guilty but you kill a grizzly bear or a wolf in certain places like now you're guilty until proven innocent so now's your time to prove yeah. that innocence did you feel like you needed to have a lawyer with you like no th- this, this is was... starting to get stressful
0: yeah so at that point it was kind of stressful but then there were, but then he's like you know, he goes, can you please tell me the story? And so I kind of told him the gist of it and he goes, Oh wow. Yeah. That definitely sounds like, you know, uh, you were protecting your life. And, um, he was really open with it. He didn't make me feel like I was like, doing anything wrong at any point. So that kind that okay. really helped. He was a great guy. And, okay. uh, so he asked if we could meet the next morning and go through the interview process and then to go back in and verify whether the bear was dead or not. Cause I, At that point, I didn't know. I was like, I think I heard the death moan, but I don't know. And then he asked, is there a cub? Well, yeah, we're pretty sure there was at least one other bear there. So we we assume it's a cub. And they're like, okay, we got to go and check. Because we don't want a wounded bear out there for somebody else to stumble across. Right. And so we met with them the next morning and it was the state game warden, a federal game warden, and a big game biologist. And yeah, they were incredibly great with the whole thing they went through and they're like yep we go through these all the time they said you guys are incredibly lucky usually we do these interviews in the hospital because somebody's been hurt you know or injured already um and your weapons aren't going to be confiscated you know nothing that nothing is going to happen you know unless it starts to look like you know it wasn't self-defense which You guys, you know, they could kind of tell we were were like still doing the shakes a little bit or still pretty wide eyed or we must have been because they were that they were very, very gracious about going through the whole thing. I mean, if it happened again, I wouldn't hesitate to call, I, you know, to put it that way. It's just like they were really good about it. I had my reservations at first, but I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to just walk away from this either. I got to do the right thing. And uh, so we met the next morning. We each give our statement under a recording. And it's funny because if we could go, go back and get my, my statement, I said, the bear came out of the trees at like 40 to 50 yards and maybe yeah. got as close as like 15 to 20 yards from me. And they're like, yeah. Oh, okay. That doesn't sound too close. And my buddy looks at me and he's like, are you nuts? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, it was way closer than that. I'm like, Oh, well, it sure seemed further in my mind's eye, but I, it all happened so fast. I don't know. So then they're like, well, can you help take us back in there? We're like, sure. At you know, and we and so we drive up to the trailhead and we're like, Can we, you know, load our guns back up and everything? And they're like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I loaded my pistol back up, carried that, and my buddy Jared had brought a shotgun with, so he had that loaded plus his pistol. And then, um, two of the wardens had dogs with, and then they were all loaded with their guns and shotguns and stuff. So I that once they were like, Yeah, you can come back in there with us armed, I knew I wasn't under a normal investigation. You know, once you're suspected as a criminal, the the police officers aren't going to be like, yeah, get your gun. Let's go. (laughs) You know, like it was still, you know, a federal investigation and it still is. But yeah, they they didn't treat me like anything. You know, they they were they were pretty cognizant of like, yes, this happens. Unfortunately, it happens and we're glad you're okay. We just got to we have to do our due diligence to make sure that everything goes smoothly according to the law. So,
1: yeah, so you're, you're going in, you've got the guns, you've got the dogs, everybody is probably on the highest level of alert, I would assume, um, I certainly would be given that case is, you don't know whether this thing is dead or alive and yeah. pretty much got to assume that it's still alive and now more aggressive than ever.
0: Yeah, so as we're walking in there we saw some fresh tracks, bear tracks in the sand and then we come and we saw some fresh tracks in the snow. And I look and I'm like, whoa, oh, that must be, a, is that a cub or is that one smaller? And it was a black bear hmm. track. And I, again, I was like, oh, I can't, I don't know if I could tell the difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear. First time in grizzly country. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and, and he's like, oh yeah, there's black bears all over the hell around here. And then we saw one of those, those white bark pines that was all tore up and busted up. And I'm like, well, what happened there? And he's like, more than likely it was back, black bears around here. And that grizzly bear didn't like it and chased it up the tree. And then they had a fight. So that's probably what was going on. Gotcha. Um, but I had dropped a pin on my phone on on of about where I thought the attack happened after we got out of there and we were working our way in. And I'm like, I think it's just up over this next rise and kind of down in this other area. I mean, this looks a little different. I'm not quite sure. And the biologist is sitting there with this binoculars like dead bear. And I'm like, Oh, we're there. Oops. <laughs> good good yeah. thing we were already. Cause we walked right in to within a hundred yards of where the attack happened and I thought we still had a little bit further to go um, sure. having only visited that place you know that other time before but he saw the dead bear so then we looked around no cub we walk up my bow was sitting there still in a little bit of snow and the cub's paw prints are all around my snow where it came up and like sniffed my bow uh, and everything and then wow. everything we never did see that cub, but the bear was laying there dead. She was stiff as a board. She definitely died the night before or that day before, shortly after we had shot her. And um, so then, yeah, then they go through the process of like, where were you standing? And go through the whole investigation as I was amazed by the detail. They had a metal detector, they had sketch pads. The biologist was taking tissue samples and and all that, which was really, really cool to kind of see. And then I got to see the bear up close and take a few pictures and whatnot. But um yeah we they go through the whole thing and then as they're going through the necropsy in the bear they're destroying it in the same process because i asked probably maybe even one or too many times that i should have to ask if i could keep a part of the bear sure since i killed it i'm like can i have the skull they're like no can i have a claw no can i have some hair no <laughs> and finally yeah. he, the one word was like gave me a pretty emphatic note in more or less terms to tell me to shut up and stop asking. And I was like, "Okay." Yeah. But yeah, they take a uh, shears and they bust up all the claws and leave them lay there. And then as we were leaving, they take his shotgun with slugs and blow a few rounds into the skull to destroy it and then just leave it there. And wow. uh, the biologist said that, you know, that cub would come back, eat on mom's carcass and that would probably be that baby cub's last meal because it would either get killed by another grizzly or starve to death. Maybe, but Which is another thing of like, why we don't need all these grizzly
1: attacks. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a maybe, but there's also an opportunity for that cub to survive because it's, it's in the fall. It's not like it's a a springtime cub that just came out of the den. Um, She was still lactating.
0: So that cub was still, still sucking milk, but yeah, it's possible, but. But the odds aren't good for that cub for sure. No. So, and then that was, you know, that was pretty much it. We walked, out and as we were hiking out we were just having a good great conversation we got back to the trucks and sat down and all ate lunch together and talked about all kinds of stuff and switched cards and everything and it's pretty interesting my uncle is a outdoor photographer has been in for years almost retired and as I was telling my side of the story in the morning I say my name and everything and after I get done the biologist is like
1: hey do you know
0: and I'm, I look at them and I kind of smile. And it turns out my uncle had taken that wildlife biologist or had been with that wildlife biologist on a lion hunt like mm. 15 years prior and done a whole big story and write up on them. And I think it was outdoor life or something like that. Okay. So they knew each other. So then, yes, yeah, kind of like, yeah, it was the investigation was as much of being able to be involved in just kind of the i don't know how you'd want to say it it wasn't it wasn't like i was treated i wasn't like i was a criminal at all throughout the whole yeah so it was i i wouldn't hesitate like i I wouldn't hesitate to do it again
1: so your your bear attack happened uh gosh like three weeks after mine and and you wrote to me then and said that it had happened but you know you and i both agreed that we needed to let this investigation run its course before we did this podcast Mm. um And, you know, my, my situation was different and similar, you know, mine was a little tiny black bear. I killed it with a 10 mil, um, as well. But, uh, yeah, you know, I I think mine was seven or eight yards away when it died also. And I mean, that stuff happens extremely quickly, but it doesn't feel fast when it's happening. It feels like it's very, very slow. And, and thank God for that mechanism that, that we have that can let us do that. Um, how long did, did it take before you felt like you were sure enough in the clear from this uh, investigation? Uh, well, it was
0: at the time, like when we were packing up and leaving after lunch, we asked them, you know, and they had given us a bunch of really good advice of like, Hey, uh, it's probably not a great idea, you know, to show all these pictures on, on Facebook and you know, that you killed a grizzly bear and all that you know more from the context of you know anti-hunters just trying to ruin your life on social media you know the the way the world is now Um, right more from that context but also because they're like yeah it still is an open investigation unfortunately the federal warden you know he's got to write up his report and do his due diligence which he says take takes months and then he has to send it to state's attorney, not a state's attorney, one of the federal district court's attorneys, or however that works, it goes up the chain federally. And then once the feds make their decision of whether to prosecute or not, then they send it to the state. And he told me, he's like, the state won't prosecute if the feds aren't going to prosecute. So um, it's been, well, it's January, February now. And I just checked in out of curiosity and he had just talked with the federal attorney and was, was basically like, yeah, you're, you don't have anything to worry about. They're not going to press any charges. This was pretty cut and dry. You, you know, you clearly defended your life for as close as that bear got to you. Plus we feel the bear wouldn't have turned if your buddy didn't get around in her as well. Um, so
1: where did, where did his shot impact?
0: Uh, right behind the shoulder, you know, broadside. So okay. double, long, double long, basically it's, it's pretty, cl- it, it, you know, him and I could maybe get into a joking match of like who killed who, who killed what, yeah. like who, yeah. but cause I got two in the chest cavity as well. Um, right. but his shot, his, his shot would be the shot where you would make, if you were making a broadside kill shot on a bear or a deer or yeah. anything, like it was right there. So it, it, more than likely that's probably what, you know, with her adrenaline and everything and the time it took her to go and then do the death moan that minute ish minute and a half ish, two minutes time period. Um, yeah, pretty consistent with a double lung hit, you know, not dying right away, but slowly dying, you know, fairly quickly. So, yeah. Um, they were, he was pretty adamant, even when we were sitting there at lunch that day. He's like, You guys have nothing to worry about. I highly doubt this is going to go anywhere. You'll probably never hear from us again. But if you know, if you want to wait and whatever and get a hold of me, please do. And I just did the cautious thing, um, because I, as a, as a consultant myself, I, I do depositions and, and sometimes expert, expert witness where I'm sitting on in court providing my expertise, and the last thing I need is my reputation slandered by people who don't understand on how I tried to save my life from
1: there. Yeah. Um, besides it being the only box of ammo that you could find, what kind of bullets were you shooting? Uh, they were the
0: Uh, I was able to buy two boxes of 180 grain full metal jackets like a week or two before we left. But what I was shooting were the Blazer, um, you know, those cheaper, I think Blazer is federal, Two were they 200 grain full metal jackets? I think they were 200 grain full metal jackets. I could not find the 220 uh, uh, Buffalo bore full metal jackets, but they were the 200 grain. And, you know, to that point, interestingly enough, in all the conversations we had with the, the wardens, we asked them, like, what do you carry? Like, what do you want? And the federal warden who deals with these all the time is he carries his nine with full metal jackets because yeah. his opinion is he wants to be as accurate as possible, not gauging on the, the extra penetration, you know, because is it really a significant difference or not when it really counts? He feels that accuracy is going to count more than the penetration. And that was his opinion of it. And I, and honestly, I agree with him. Like, yeah, I would much rather be able to put rounds on target rather than a big gun going all over the place. Cause the state game warden was actually, he told me several times how impressed he was that I was actually able to stay on target as the bears coming to me. Cause you have to like aim downhill as a, as a target's coming to you. And then with those bigger guns on how much they can kick. And yep. most people will start shooting, it kicks. And then by the time they go to shoot again, they have it tracked down far enough. So they're always just shooting over the back of the bear. And again, I don't know, I guess my practice helped me in that situation because I was able to actually, you know, get those rounds under that bear as she was coming at me. So,
1: well, and and folks can't see it right now, but, um, but he's gesturing a little bit and holding his hands out as if he had a, had a pistol in his hand. And your hand position, I can tell by doing that, is correct. And the way you're holding your arms up is correct for absorbing that recoil. Uh, I can shoot a, a, a 10 mil very, very accurately. And with a little bit of practice, anybody can. So it, it, it's, it's really just a, a matter of form. Mm-hmm. On the subject of ammunition, because this is something that's near and dear to my heart, there's some good options out there. And people uh, really gravitate towards the Buffalo Bore and with good reason. It's, it's a really big bullet. It's a semi-wad cutter, which is excellent for both penetration and uh, cutting arteries and breaking bones Um, one of the drawbacks of the buffalo boar is that you're actually not supposed to shoot them through a glock um the the way the barrel is rifled isn't you're you're just not supposed to shoot a hard cast lead bullet through it so there's some aftermarket barrels that you can do for the glock that's good no i didn't know that yeah um so you know you can fix it and it, it just is what it is i guess but there's another um, ammo company called uh, G9 um, out of Washington. And they actually developed this cartridge for the Finnish military, who needed to defend against polar bears with 9 mils. <laughs> and, uh, and they make this really whiz-bang ammo that has something like 40 inches of penetration um, with a 9 mil in, into a, you know, a bear or, or ballistic gelatin of, of equivalent density. So that's pretty incredible. I ended up, you know, I had 180 grain V crown, which is a a hollow point that expands, but maintains this mass really well and does a lot of cutting. Again, you know, my bear was small. It was a 150 pound bear-ish. I didn't weigh it, Uh, but yours being a, even though that it was a Sal being 18 to 20 years old, that's a pretty big bear. Any idea how big she was? They estimated at 250 to
0: 275. She was a lot smaller than I thought. Uh, Obviously coming at me in in real time, I thought she was four or 500 pounds, but I even said that I'm like, I feel like she's pretty big, like four or 500 pounds. um, Cause I've seen some bear, you know, I've, I've seen black bears. So I had a good idea, but I said, I'm fully aware of that. I could be way off in, in that context. And still, you know uh, I know plenty of men that are, you know, six foot tall and 250, 275 pound guys. And it's like, I don't want you running at me at full speed either. So it's big enough.
1: Yeah, totally big enough. And bears are so much freaking stronger than people are. Like yeah. you, it's almost impossible to understand how strong animals like bears and mountain lions actually are. But people will see it. They'll, they'll be out in the woods and they'll see these giant logs and stumps that are either moved or completely ripped apart and what's amazing to me is a bear's reward for ripping apart a stump is eating like a handful maybe of like ant larva like yeah. that's their caloric reward for doing that so not yeah. only are they incredibly strong they're incredibly efficient with the calories they consume yeah. but it, it's just different it's not like comparing it to a 270 pound guy uh it's, it's just not the same at all they're yeah. so much more powerful, so much faster. Your your bear was probably charging at around eight yards per second, maybe a little bit faster. That, that tends to be the, the speed that these animals move at when they when they wanna go for it. And that's fairly consistent with what you're saying. You're saying it took about a second and a half. It started at this range, it ended at this range. You got this many shots off. What really impresses me, besides the fact that you prepared yourself for this, that upon becoming alert that your hand went to your pistol um and then you had 50% accuracy on your shooting that's amazing you got a lot of shots off very quickly for that level of accuracy given that amount of stress um man i am so grateful that you decided to bring a gun that you learned how to use it and that you were able to use it effectively
0: yeah well thank you i appreciate that it's uh you know, to the strength of the bear thing, I always think about how a bear of that size, you can see the YouTube videos of how even those full-size grizzlies, if they want to, can scale a tree. It's like, I, I you know, I'm an arborist, so I used to climb trees for a living. I know how hard it is to get my 170 pounds up a tree, and I can't do it that fast, and they're that yeah. strong. And then that grizzly, when we were looking at her and stuff, those front claws are as, every bit as big as my finger. Right. And... It's just like, oh my gosh, they're huge. Um, and then, you know, when I was getting ready and going through all the information, listening, I believe you had a podcast on on talking about some of this stuff a while ago. Because that's one of the reasons I reached out to you is because you had podcasts on talking about pistols and bear protection. Yeah. And then there were, there were other podcasts I listened to that had the same thing. There was a the Meat Eater did a YouTube video um, on you know pistol or bear spray and everything. And I came down to the decision of us like my gun is gonna be my number one option. The only time I'm gonna pull my bear spray, which I had on my hip of my uh, backpack, is if it's a situation where there's a bear that's curious in this, uh, or we happen to stumble across it and it's uh, uh, you know, 50, 100 yards away, and it's not a direct threat. But I knew that I needed to have that option of, if there's a direct threat from a bear, I'm going to, my pistol's gonna be my number one option. I'm not going to mess around with, you know, some stinky spray. And yeah. thank God I didn't because it didn't work out for Jared. And, you know, it, it, all he did was get pepper sprayed in the face.
1: So besides bringing the 10 mil, what advice do you have for people who are going to go hunt in grizzly country? So
0: 10, Oh geez. I suppose this has been almost 20 years ago now. Um, but I had somebody share with me, the saying of how you do anything is how you do everything. And I kind of grabbed onto that right away because it makes a hell of a lot of sense. It's if you know in the, in that mindset of you know how you prepare and how you practice and how you operate in everyday life is how you're going to operate when it matters and vice versa. Um and in, in my world of working in trees and it's pretty high risk industry when you're you know, high up in a tree and you're taking the top off and running a chainsaw and stuff, you don't have a margin for error. So you've got to operate safely all the time. And that's how I approached going into this hunt. And that's how I approach most of my hunting is I'm going to do as much homework on the front end. So it's easier when I'm actually hunting. And that's what I would say is if you're going into grizzly country, uh, the chances of you getting attacked, I mean, geez, we hit, we hit the lottery. I should have bought a lottery ticket that day. Cause really what are the chances? that's going to happen. Um, it's getting more and more frequent, but I still, I don't think it's, like I said, I would, I'm still going to go into grizzly country. I don't have a problem, but I'm still going to practice and I'm going to prepare because now I know that that extra work that I put in of doing the dry fire practice, doing the pistol pistol drills. Like I even, I set my phone up outside and I put it on video mode and I, and I videoed myself in slow-mo drawing to, just to see how my reaction was and how I was doing and how I was bringing up the gun. If I was being in good form, because I, like you said, like the form is probably what really helped me. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not just having the gun, but it's being able to use the tool that you have. And it's those things I feel that was, was just enough to help save me. And it's, I'm, I'm sitting here now going, Holy crap. the, what I have been telling people in all the safety training and education and stuff that I've been doing for the last 15, 20 years, it actually paid off for myself this time because I practiced and prepared in a way that I needed to. And, and it paid off. Like the, you know, the perfect practice makes perfect. Like I, you know, I wasn't just out there shooting rounds into a water, water jug or, you know, just trying to hit a target. Like I was Practicing for the exact scenario that happened. And I mean, there has to be some luck in there too. But luckily, like it all came together and it worked out for me. And I got all my fingers and toes and not a scar on me from it. So I can
1: really be thankful for that. Luck favors the well prepared. I'm sorry that that cut your elk hunt short. That's a bummer. I seriously
0: contemplated for a while afterwards um, calling Wyoming and asking for a refund. Yeah. And I even went so far in my mind of thinking like, you know what? They owe me, they owe me all my money back because not only was it five years of preference point, but it was a special check, a special tag. So it was like $1,500 elk tag that I only got to hunt for four days on because after the attack, my buddy was like, yeah, we're going home. I'm not hunting anymore. And the game wardens are like, yeah. Oh, you guys could go back out, go back out. It'll be fine. And I'm kind of like, yeah, no, I think we're going to go home. Yeah. Uh, But I went so far as like, well, I think that this whole deal with the ESA, and it's listed, not listed, and whatnot with bear, I think there is a strong argument for not only the state, but the federal government putting people in harm's way because they're not managing these bears the way that they should be.
1: Well, and and they're limited. They're limited, even if they want to. The the Endangered Species Act is so restrictive that it prevents biologists from being able to take action. Um, I, I think it's a public safety risk.
0: I really think like they're walking a fine line to somebody finally maybe having the means of suing them. and uh, That gets an attack of saying, hey, it's not safe for us to be out here because of these bears. And maybe I'm way off base, but I still feel that way. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, you've got ground to stand on. And this isn't a one-off, like multiple people are being attacked and killed every single year. And it, it seems to only be increasing in frequency and honestly in, in intensity as well. You know, we, we were talking here at the Hunt Expo today about the gal um, in Ovando, Montana, who who's killed inside of her tent and people okay. are really quick to blame her they're like well the bear had already come once and they ran it off and she had food in the tent like that bear ate her okay it didn't eat her food it, it, it ate her they yeah. killed her
0: i think it's easy for i think it's easy for people to have that conjecture if they've yeah. actually been in that experience and now having been in that experience uh yeah i if if i was if I was ever uh, wavering on, you know, biologists needing to manage all species across the landscape, bears, wolves, ducks, squirrels, you name it, like I am full on board now because yeah. I, I have a bachelor's degree in wildlife biology. I kind of know how the system works, uh, you know, enough to be dangerous, but like, it, yeah, like the this whole stuff we've been going through with, you know, all the anti-predator hunting type stuff, it's just it's not it's not helping it's making it worse and uh yeah i don't i don't know what else to say but it's
1: (laughs) and it doesn't make it better for the bears either no and and i feel like that's where people's hearts are at like when when bear hunting you know was up to be banned in california um i brought up the example of of what happened with mountain lions in california so after mountain lion hunting was banned more mountain lions were killed in california than were killed before when mountain lion hunting was legal and the reason is because now the lions were coming closer to people conflict was increasing but instead of the state making money from hunters going out there and adding that recreational value and and you know the the historic and traditional benefits of, of lion hunting now the state has to pay somebody to go out and do it and Lions are worse off as a species, as a population in that state because hunting was banned. And, yeah. and the data is is really clear on that. So I know where people's hearts are at, yeah. but they just have to look for examples to see if that's how it actually pays out. And, and it doesn't, you know, it it plays out very differently. Your, your example reminded me of
0: my, the bear that I killed or we killed, um, the biologist was looking at it and, and everything. And then he interjected, he's like, you know what? I bet this is the same problem bear that we've had not too far away. I think it was a, a site maybe 10 miles away that they've had issues with her coming into this area and they've had to scare away. So not only because they couldn't do anything there with, with her, she wasn't a problem bear enough yet for them to capture, reco- relocate or kill then she was still around, but also to that, the locals that we bumped into in that unit and how much they hate bears is probably the reason why that bear had a small caliber wound in it from somebody who just hates bears doesn't care and had shot and wounded that bear and didn't report it so you Absolutely. start not only are you not getting the the biologist to manage the population in a way that's going to be healthier for for the animals now you're getting you know, the fringe elements of society to start taking things into their own hands, you know, the shoot, shovel, shut up type crowd that are just making it worse. And it's, it's this whole conundrum of just things getting worse and worse and worse and worse versus hopefully they could be better if they, you know, could be hunted and managed in a way that they're supposed to be that we could hopefully then keep them from having all these people interactions.
1: Yeah. Now you're, you're spot on. And in that change, that change is inevitable, but the, the result I'm afraid is, is gonna be slow and it's gonna be a painful process for us to get there. It's just gonna, it's gonna take all these series of, of litigations. And you know for, for those who don't know, what happens is an, an animal rights organization or, or, or a preservation organization will file a lawsuit against a state or or a government uh, agency. And then they use this thing called the EJA, the Equal Access to Justice Act. And they can get all of their lawyer fees um, paid back to them by the government. And this started out as like a a whistleblower protection thing so that the government couldn't just outspend somebody in a lawsuit, Um, but these groups make a tremendous amount of money by by filing lawsuits, by applying for EJA, and then using that money to hire more attorneys so that they can file more lawsuits and make more money. It's, it's a racket. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate for the animals. It's unfortunate for everybody that goes into the woods. And uh, we, we've got to bring it to an end. Gosh, I'm, your, your story is, is thrilling to be completely honest with you. Um, And I'm, I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did for you. I'm sad that, that, you know, that that cub probably died. I'm sad that that Sal had to die, you know, that, but Hey, she, she picked a fight and lost. Um, And uh, that's, that's the way it goes. I'm glad you won.
0: Yeah. Well, I I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me uh, on and, and being able to share this, this is, this is pro well, this is the first time that I'm going to have it publicly with my name out there, other than any, all, all friends and family that I've told. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm never going to, you know, share any pictures online of the actual dead bear, but I don't have a problem telling the story because of, like we said at the beginning, I wanted to share this in the context of, you know, go ahead, go out, hunt but be as prepared as you can. And, you know, then hopefully things are going to work out a lot better rather than being unprepared. Cause I think if you look into a lot of the other attacks that happen there, people are pseudo prepared. Yeah. They have a gun with them or whatever, but they're not ready.
1: Right. Or it's in their pack or yeah. a, A million things, a million things, but you did it right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can't, I can't thank you enough for telling this story, and I hope that people take it seriously and understand that this is something that can happen to them, and if they're going to hunt in an area that has bears, uh, whether it's black bears, grizzly bears, I don't care, uh, if, if they don't want to get chewed on, uh, they should bring a 10 mil with them. Yeah, yeah,
0: and, and practice, either get some, yep. you know, training or, or at least, you know, practice.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, sir.
0: Yeah. Thanks, James.
1: So I found this old ad and there's like dudes dressed up like construction workers and a guy's got a jackhammer and there's a crane and, you know, they're moving all these big steel beams and stuff.
0: Aladdin Stanley Thermos. Stanley, the top all steel thermos bottle that's completely dependable.
1: They're showing this thermos like falling off this building and hitting all this other construction stuff.
0: And built to think founding year after year. <laughs> Get the top one. <laughs> well,
1: oh, lands because in the wheelbarrow. The Guy grabs it out of wheelbarrow. Now he's going to hey, pour himself a cup of coffee. Thermos I love these cheesy old ads. And most of the time, like they're lying to us, right? That's most of what marketing used to be was just like telling a lie or, or at least telling a version of a lie that that made you think that you needed this thing. But we will tell you what, when it's cold out like it is right now, the only way to keep liquid liquid and not freezing in your pack is by putting it in something that's insulated. So packing a thermos in the wintertime is really smart, whether it's for a hot beverage like coffee or If you just want to bring some water with you, which is a really important thing. If you're going to be out adventuring around in this, uh, in this snow that we've got all over the country. And I think you should be because it's a great time of year to get out and about, you know, this is both a comfort and a safety thing. If you want to get something from Stanley, which I encourage you to do, you can use the discount code six ranch. That's the number six in the word ranch. And that'll get you 25% off of just about anything on their website encourage you to do that they're great supporters of the show and uh, great supporters of this audience and i love you guys so stay warm out there have a nice warm drink and uh, make sure you're drinking it out of a stanley product thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and share the show with a friend you can also rate the podcast and leave a review Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch podcast. I'll catch you next week.